When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get ready for your first round of golf of the year at the 32nd Annual 2023 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Returning to the Minneapolis Convention Center Friday, February 24th through Sunday, February 26th. This year's show includes free lessons from the PGA professionals, thousands of name brand golf apparel items, discounted especially for the show, and your chance to sink a putt for $100,000. Plus so much more. Tickets and more information at minnesotagolfshow.com. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily, presented by Surly Brewing Company. And welcome into Purple Daily. No Phil today. He is in the process of starting his long move back from uh, Seattle to Minneapolis. And so uh, PD is always presented by our friends at Surly Brewing and also by TCL TV. If you're not watching sports on a TCL, I got news for you. You're doing it wrong. So fix that this weekend, TCL TV. All right, Purple Daily. It's Judd right here. It's Declan as well. And then it's our our normal Tuesday guest moved to Friday because he just returned from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Thor Nystrom, from, uh, or a college football and draft analyst from Fantasy Pros. Thor is going to join us on Tuesdays, uh, certainly leading up to the draft, to talk about the prospects. But Thor... You just got back from what I would consider to be the pregame for the combine. So, like this is this is your first taste of the executives all gather in Mobile as they have for years. Uh, the prospects are there, uh, but it goes beyond that because when you have that many coaches and executives uh, from the National Football League gathered in one place, ordinarily you have a few beers, you see them ar- around, and then people start to talk because you know what they might enjoy a surly. And they might say, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling like talking about what my team is doing. So let's start there. You, you tweeted out uh, p- pictures of Quazy on the field scouting. You also, I think, towards your last night, tweeted out a great picture of Quazy and some Vikings executives on what looked like a very entertaining pub crawl. Indeed. So, so talk about that, but also, just as importantly, what scuttlebutt? What uh, reckless speculation, what rumors did you hear circulating that are uh, germane to Vikings fans that they might not yet know? Because your home of reckless speculation, of course, is Score North. The floor is yours. Yeah, you know, Quasi wasn't here last year. And so I was curious if he was going to be here at all. And we saw him all around town. We saw him in the stadium. And like you said, I I, I saw him out. Uh, you know, as far as on the field, we saw him talking to Brian Flores. 
that was the most interesting thing. So, I mean, he was taking his opportunities to get some face time with Brian Flores, who, of course, right now is an assistant with the Steelers. And then on, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, we went out to dinner and we were walking to Veet's, which is like the super popular hole-in-the-wall bar here in Mobile. We happened to find ourselves walking behind Quasi and some of these Vikings executives. They tried, their party tried to get into the, uh, I think it's called the Harbinger or Harbringer or something like that. Yeah. And the, the doorman told him that it was at capacity. And Quasi, those guys just thanked him and just kept moving right along. Like, <laughs> didn't make a scene of it at all. So I, I just thought it was funny because the doorman will never know that he turned away the Vikings GM. Yeah. So it, so what is the, uh, what, what would you, you say is the juiciest thing that you heard regarding the Vikings as far as, you know, draft prep goes? I, I know that there can be at times some, certainly names related to the um, upcoming free agent market talked about? Like, was there anything from that end where we're starting to get at least an idea of what the thinking is regarding the Vikings? Nothing finite. It might be too early in the process to know who they're zeroing in on in the draft. But what was most interesting was just the presence of Quasi and how ubiquitous it was after last process. Get started a little bit late and was more hands off with that. You know, of course, he wasn't here in Mobile. So it's kind of interesting, especially in lieu of the way the first draft worked out, that he is taking this more hands-on approach the second time around. No O'Connell, is that correct? I didn't see O'Connell. Uh-uh. Okay, probably say that. So, yeah. Thor, what, what what would you think, too, if um, what, from a GM's perspective here, like from Kwesi's perspective, a lot of these guys are seeing some of these players in person for the first time. Um, what is, what is the, what is the main objective here from GMs or coaches at the senior bowl to basically just, just to get their first look. Is that kind of the main goal here of, of the senior bowl to really type, get, you know, your, your first duck in a row, essentially in your draft evaluation process. Yeah. A lot of the area scouts have already watched the film of the guys that are in their area that are here. Those guys are just looking to sort of get the next level of exposure and get additional information, looking to flesh out the evaluation. I think for a lot of the sort of treetop uh, decision makers, like a, a guy like Quasi, you're also looking to get the face-to-face exposure that you get with these kids at these events where you get to sit down and interview them. That's one part of the process that I don't get access to. Like, you don't get to, to know the kids as well. I get to interview them, you know, like at the, the media breakfast we had on Wednesday, down on the field, stuff like that, or at the podium session at the Combine. But you don't get to, like, sit down with a kid for, like, you know, 40 minutes, an hour, and try to get to know them you get more of those opportunities if you're an evaluator in town here. So I, I think those are some of the positives for those guys. So this is this, you, you just hit on what I find to be one of the most interesting and actually dangerous uh, things Thor, about this time of year. And it's this, okay. So you, you get um, FaceTime here. And then when you get to the combine, uh, they basically take a, a hotel room for each team decks, clear it out. They clear the bed out. They clear the whole thing out and it becomes a conference room. 15 minute interviews with each prospect, but that includes juniors. So that, so if you declare and you're invited, so Thor, here's what I think is intriguing. Rick Spielman always took this too far. He thought he became an expert on people. And like the Vikings would bring in a team of like, psychiatrists or I I don't know exactly what, but they, they like had people on retainer to like, this is a good kid. Cause you could see this and you could see that. And I actually think that this becomes one of the most overthought processes because, and here's what's, and this is true of us too. So I'm not saying that we, we would be good at this, but let's just take prime example to me, Christian Ponder, incredibly smart dude, classroom wizard, like at a chalkboard, 
wizard. Game starts, totally different dynamic. So I think the most important thing is no matter how smart you think you are or a people a people person, you got to be very, very, very careful about not confusing off-the-field smarts for on-the-field smarts. Case in point, Percy Harvin. I don't know if Percy Harvin could do any schoolwork at all. No clue. But on the field, he had instinct. So I really think that this week kicks off a, hey, you know what? It's great to get FaceTime. Uh, I totally get trying to get to know the kids. But if you take that too far, you can screw yourself six ways to Sunday before the draft ever starts. It's a great point. You know, and, and we see some of the trouble that some of these kids get in. Then we start playing pop psychologists or even the ones that didn't get in trouble. You start playing pop psychologists with them and maybe inferring things about their character that, that may not be true, whether it's based on limited information or whether it's just based on your gut feel being in front of them. And yeah, I, I do think, Judd, I agree with you that for some evaluators or decision makers, that ends up carrying too much weight in their evaluation. You start to forget about some of the on-field stuff. One of the big guys from a couple years ago that we all said had character concerns because of an incident that had happened at Penn State was Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons has come into the league. You haven't seen any issues with that kid. He clearly loves football. He's clearly trying to get better, and he's turned into a menace on the field. Whereas, you know, like you, you bring up Ponder. who the, the cleanest quarterback to come out in the NFL last 15, 20 years from a personality standpoint was Tim Tebow, but he couldn't play. So, you know, and he obviously gets picked in the first round because of some of these things. He impressed people in a room. And that can't it can't carry the day of the evaluation for sure. Thor, I saw one guy that was really turning heads the senior ball from all over the place, and people now kind of connect him to the Vikings naturally because he played college football at the U was John Michael Schmitz, who just yeah. seemed to be pancaking guys. I saw our guy Alex Boone, who was all over him as well. And um he, it seemed like he was one of the big time winners at the senior bowl. But I'm curious, you know, the Vikings are at what pick twenty three technically with with the whole Dolphin situation. Is it a reach? For John Michael Schmitz at 23, is his value, though, going to be skyrocketing even more after the successful Senior Bowl? Basically, I think the, the better way to ask you this, if the draft was tomorrow, would it be a reach? And part B of that, by when the draft actually rolls around, is he even going to be there at 23 with his stock potentially rising? Yeah, we'll see about that. I, I mean, after seeing him here, he's not falling beneath the top 50. So, like, but right now, I would, if I had to guess, I would say late second round, uh, or I'm sorry, early second round, or maybe maybe late late first, might be. I mean, like yeah, you, you think about that 23rd pick. It might be a little above his import right now, but he has more opportunities to impress. One of the most impressive things from his film is how that kid moves. You the Gophers did things with him that you don't see other collegiate centers doing. Things like snapping the ball and then pulling around the tackle and then taking out a you know an edge defender or whatever on the outside. You don't see guys doing that. And he consistently picked off linebackers at the second level, stuff like that. The athleticism is all there. He's going to impress in Indianapolis. So I think he's going to be another winner there. And then his pro day as well. I I think he will be a riser throughout the process. He's someone to keep an eye on. And as far as Mobile, he might have been the most impressive offensive lineman that we saw outside of Dewan Jones, uh, the Ohio State tackle who was here on Tuesday. And that that kid's like almost as big as Falele, but he has a longer wingspan. He's just an absolute mountain, and he was just dominating people. But he left the event on Tuesday, John, and he's a tackle. John Michael Schmitz, he was impressing day in and day out. And as far as the interior guys, he shined the brightest. I think Schmitz is mean, too. I think he's got a mean yeah. streak, which I absolutely love. I mean, Bradbury, he, he showed improvement 
and, and was a disappointment before. Doesn't strike me as a particularly nasty guy. I, I want my I want my O line to basically be a bunch of SOBs. And Schmitz looks like he plays like one. He, case in point, and this guy's great, Hall of Fame player. But the starting point for Steve Hutchinson was he was a nutcase on the field. Like you didn't know what he was going to do. He was nasty. He played with an edge. And and I really think, especially in a day and age where I don't think the modern athlete is necessarily nearly as crusty as the old school one, Thor, I want my guy, especially if he's going to lead the line to have a definite edge. And Schmitz, in watching him with the Gophers, seemed like he had a big time edge to his play. 1,000%. You know, like I mentioned the mobility and the, the ambulatoriness of his game. That's what jumps out to me most on the film. What I was watching for here is when you go in those one-on-one drills with the defensive lineman, it's really tilted towards the defensive guy, right? Because the offensive lineman's just out there on an island in, in those one-on-one drills. Right. I wanted to see how he was going to anchor and how he was going to do with power and a fire-on-fire fight. He acquitted himself super well. He put a couple guys in body bags down here. Just yes. buried him right into the dirt um, and got his teammates fired up too on the sidelines during those one-on-one drills. Cause he, like I said, was consistently stymieing guys. And it just had a couple of dominant reps down here. That's a football man, football <laughs> body bags. That's awesome. Uh, so how, how did your positionally and also from a player standpoint, Thor, how did your uh, thinking change in, in watching this? Like what, what were your preconceived notions about positions and players that possibly in the past uh, four or five days uh, got changed by seeing these guys up close and in a consistent environment of, of basically trying to shine? Yeah, there is, you know, you come in with some preconceived notions and, and guys at every position rose and fell for me. Like at the quarterback position, I was hoping for a little bit more here. Honestly, the only guy that stood out whatsoever, I thought was Jake Hayner. And that was really just in comparison to the rest of the group. It's not like he like lit the world on fire, but he was he was steady. His accuracy was good. He was making quick decisions, and he wasn't afraid to like throw down the field. Whereas a lot of the other quarterbacks here were checking down. They, like they started to get check down Charlies down here. No way, any checkdowns. No more checkdowns. No more checkdowns in Minnesota. But that you know the, that group was disappointing. But interest, interestingly, for the Vikings or topically for the Vikings, a team that is probably going to wave goodbye to Alexander Madison in free agency may or may not cut or trade Dalvin Cook. You might have a need there for a running back with one of your first couple picks if you do, you know, because, obviously, you know, you don't have the second. You might have to take one in the third or the fourth if you want him to play right away. There were several guys down here turning heads in the in the running back room. That was a little bit different than, for instance, from the quarterback one. One kid from Minnesota that we, we should hit on, Evan Hall from Northwestern. He was impressing people down here. He was a guy that I was higher on coming in. I think he was hurt by his college situation. The only guy that he played with that was good last year on offense was Peter Skaronsky, who is going to be a first-round offensive lineman. But outside of that, Northwestern had nothing. The rest of their offensive line stunk. The quarterback wasn't good. They didn't have any receivers. So the defenses could just key on Evan Hall. And on his tape, you didn't get to see, like, the full fleshed out of what he could be, like, down in and down out. He didn't get the same sort of running lanes and and, and looks and, and, and opportunities that other running backs in this class did. But I saw him flash on film, and specifically the thing that jumped out about him, receiving versatility. He he was near the top of this class in terms of yards per route run, in terms of catch rate, in terms of targets, in terms of receptions last year, 
receiving yards in terms of percentages of snaps playing in the slot end out wide. He's not just one of those guys that runs really good routes out of the backfield, and he does. He's really skilled, and he has really good hands. But you can also move him out to the slot if you want for for a couple downs, move him outside. He's one of those, you know, I I don't want to call him a movable chess piece, but he's super versatile within the the offensive scheme. That's something that that Kevin O'Connell might make use of. Obviously, we see it with Shanahan's offense quite a bit. Evan Hall, great receiving back, and I think he's a little bit underrated as a runner. There was people coming into this event that were saying he was going to run in the four sixes. I think they made that number up, like a figment of their imagination. Evan Hall was a track star in high school, and he's he's still a quick kid. Is he the fastest back in this class? No, but long speed is is not like a huge issue for him. He told us down here that he expects to run in the four fours in Indianapolis. If he does that, Evan Hall is going to be a big riser. Though I was reading some of your work uh, at Fantasy Pros, and by the way, anyone who wants a little bit more of Senior Bowl recap from him, go check out him and his colleagues' work uh, at FantasyPros.com. Uh, Ty J Spears out of Tulane. I, I saw you were pretty high on him, and, and Judd will, this will be music to Judd's ears as well. He has uh, some easy pass-catching reps, and he's able to kind of take the ball and, 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 and not just take handoffs, but also maybe get in space and, and be much more of a reception back as well. What did you like about Ty J Spears at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, the Tulane running back, he, he really opened eyes. I, in fact, I think he was the biggest winner of any position here because not only did you see the things that impressed you on the tape with his game, the explosion, the movement, uh, the decisions at high speeds that he makes in the open field, just making defenders look silly. But he had a couple questions on his evaluation that he has already answered based on his week here. Like one of them was his size. He measured like uh, the year before last at Tulane, he was listed at 190. Last year he was listed at 195. He sh- he's never been listed above 195 in college. He shows up here weighing 204. I, I asked him about this on Wednesday. He said he had gotten up to 197 by the bowl game against USC. He tore up USC. He, he was just going ballistic at the end of the season. And then he said he gained the other seven pounds in training over the last month. I think he's going to show up at the combine 210 pounds or maybe even a tick above that. So he just gets to – that's the size threshold, 210 pounds. We talk about NFL running backs. The lower they are beneath that, the scarier it gets, the more unique talent that they have to be to succeed long term. So Spears, has, he, he answered that question. Then it was, would he be able to retain the movement with that extra weight on? He absolutely did. He, he was the most explosive back here. Then the next one was, can this get play on third downs? Tulane didn't throw him the ball as much, and we, he didn't get as many opportunities in pass pro. That didn't look like a strength of his game. But down here, he looked really smooth in the, like in the receiving drills. But then also in, in when they were doing the team stuff, him working as a receiver. I didn't see him drop a ball all week. All these kids were dropping balls. But I don't think I saw Tajay Spears drop one ball. And the thing is, that was not considered a strength of his game coming in. That was one of the weaknesses that he had to answer, like a, a potential question. So he he just had a bonanza of a week where he a bunch of these questions he has now addressed and all the strengths he sort of proved the concept of. So Thor, at, at that spot now, so because that position has changed fundamentally so much, when we talk about a guy rising up the board potentially – at running back, where are we talking about now? Like, like be, beyond just a really special one. So, like, if, if you're rising, are you going from a fourth or fifth round pick to a third, possibly second round pick? I, I'm just that the philosophy on that spot has changed so much. And, and you can find ones who are certainly good on the open market or in the draft at like the fifth round. So, if you're a riser, where do you get to, like Spears, where? Where do you max out at in the minds of teams, do you think? 
I think Spears, like his band of outcomes coming into this week was probably two or three rounds. And I, I think he maximized that. Like coming into this week, he would have been seen as probably a fifth rounder, maybe a sixth rounder. And I think he might've gotten up to the third, uh, assuming that he tests as well as, as I think he will. But again, j- just proving all, all that stuff here, Evan Hall, it might've been two rounds as well. well. We'll end up seeing, but he was looked at as, as maybe a sixth or seventh rounder coming into this. I, again, I thought he was underrated. I thought he'd improve his stock as we went. But I like I think Evan Hall now might be a fourth rounder. Um, okay. You know he would have to go berserk in testing to get into day two. I think, but I do think Spears has has a really good shot to get into day two. Whereas coming into this week, not a lot of people said he was that top sort of hundred prospect. This is great stuff, man. In fact, it's so great. Guess what, Thor? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty because I need a break because this football talk has me has me trying to find an option to drink. And you know what? Oh, I just found it, boys. It's Surly Beer, Surly Brewing. The, the perfect beer for the big game, a Vikings game, or draft talk. And I'm talking about Furious, Logic Bomb, Before I Die. I could go down the list of delicious Surly beers. They are all fantastic. Check them out, Surly Brewing Company. Uh, and perhaps you're, you know what? The big game coming up in a week. You got golf, Declan. You got mm-hmm. lots of choices. I think right now is a fantastic time to unleash the Underdog app and start playing on Underdog. Absolutely right. Yeah, you got uh, some Super Bowl props you can take. My guy, uh, Josh, cashed out a big-time slip, little five-item parlay for oh 4000 on Underdog Fantasy. You want to be like Josh here? You want you want to take some overs or hires? And and, oh. and they'll also do situations in the second half where they'll put out special props as well. Yes, Judd mentioned golf, NBA, NHL. You know, Thor and I, we were talking uh, off mic last week that if the combine kicks off, hey, there might be some 40 times you maybe even want to lock in on some of these sites. Go to Underdog Fantasy and use promo code SCORE, S-K-O-R. They'll match your first deposit uh, up to 100 bucks for a new user. Go download the Underdog Fantasy app. All right, let's let's move on to, to the, the position that I think in most mock drafts are right now. The Vikings are being linked to uh, the most at this point, cornerback. What did you learn about this class? And I, I know there will certainly be more to come with the underclassmen at the Combine in, uh, in Indianapolis late this month into March. But what did you take away from the senior bowl when it comes to the cornerback position? This is a strong corner class, and they had a good cornerback group down here. In fact, on the first day, the cornerbacks were dominating those one-on-ones. My uh, my buddy, Matt Kelly, uh, a pod father on Twitter, he was going around and asking kids at the, the media breakfast on Wednesday, like, are the cornerbacks ruining the event by being too dominant in one-on-one drills? Because <laughs> You saw some of that. And and we, you know, the, another thing this cornerback class has that's sort of unique is they have a bunch of the big outside boundary corners, sort of an atypically high amount of those guys. And we got to see some of them down here. Julius Brent from Kansas State is one of those pterodactyl kids, like, for, you know, on the outside and the boundary, uh, 6'3", over 200 pounds with a super duper long wingspan. Press man cover, uh, like uh, on the outside, he's going to get his hands on you right away. And that's what we saw in these one-on-one drills really hard to get off the line against Julius Brents and he moves better downfield than I, I think I gave him credit for coming in. He's got these like long cattle prod, prod arms. And at the catch point, like when the ball's coming down, invariably he's getting one of those arms around, getting his hand on the ball or being able to make plays on them himself. So that could be a guy that the Vikings look at. He's going to go a little bit earlier. I, I think he helped his stock um, quite a bit this week. Um, a couple other ones that, that did Darius rush from South Carolina He's a guy who played across from a guy that a name that I think a lot of Vikings fans have already heard in Cam Smith at South Carolina. Darius Rush was the guy that played on the other boundary. He got a little bit overshadowed by Cam Smith uh, at South Carolina, 
But coming to this event where Cam Smith, he's not at any of these all-star exhibitions because he knows he's going to go in the first round. This was Darius Rush's opportunity to show up, you know, on his own two feet outside of the shadow of Cam Smith and prove that he was, you know, his, his own corner and a good corner in his own right. He absolutely did down here. They tracked him as having the fastest speed of any defensive back with the senior ball. They have a zebra tracking system where they get the speeds of all the kids on the field. Darius Rush was the fastest one here. And he was also super duper sticky in those one-on-one drills. He was getting his hands on a lot of balls. He was really difficult to shake. So I think he's another stock up guy. Another guy I heard a lot of people talking about in the stands, both the media and the scouting folks, was Kai Blue Kelly from Stanford. His dad played in the NFL for more than 10 years. And Kai Blue Kelly came into college as sort of a Ballyhoo prospect. He had sort of an up-and-down career, uh, but the entire Stanford program was sort of in the tank his entire time there. But, like, they, they had moved him from nickel and then finally to the outside, the boundary. And he was telling us that, like, when he got outside, that like that's the natural thing for him. He's an outside. He, he wants to shut down the number one receiver on the other team. And the nickel spot maybe wasn't as good of a fit for him. So now he's, he's still learning the outside boundary stuff, but flashed a lot of high-end potential on film. And this week was very consistent. That's what I wanted to see. I didn't want to see the flash reps, but now you get torched. Now you have a great rep. Now you get torched. I wanted to see the, the rep in, rep out with him. And he showed that this week. He was super duper active. So that, that's another guy. And then just a couple other guys out the door. Rajon Wright from Oregon State. He's another one of those tall, physical, outside uh, boundary guys. Again, that the Vikings may be looking for. Depending on what defensive the defensive coordinator and then the philosophy of that guy that they bring in, the, the sort of type of corner that they want. But assuming that they're still going for the, the outside guys, they want to get uh, their hands on you right away. Rajon Wright would be another one for that. And then the last name I toss out is Tyreek Stevenson from Miami. He was one of the highest rated guys coming in. On Tuesday, he was dominant. N- nobody could get any space on him. He was shutting down all the one-on-one drills. Was a little bit more consistent, inconsistent as, as the week went on. But he sh- certainly proved to people why he was considered one of the top guys coming into this event. Sticking on the defensive side, Thor, uh, another guy that I saw you were writing up on, and, and this is something that the Vikings could possibly target this year's draft um, with just the status of Darius Smith up in the air. I mean, hell, I don't think they'll move on from Daniel Hunter, but that's still an option. Uh, Keon White, who was one of your big winners at fantasypros.com, um, you, you kind of mentioned how he needed to really solidify himself as a first-round talent, and, and you kind of saw a, a lot of good strengths. And what did you like from uh, his showing at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, Keon White's a freak show of an athlete. Um, he, he's one of those, like, off-the-bus guys and one of those guys who's going to blow the roof off of Indianapolis. Uh, 6'4", 283, he, and he's, he's position versatile. You can play him inside. Uh, you can play him on the outside. For, for the 3-4 uh, team, you can put him, um, you know, either of the, the defensive line spots or you could rush him from the outside. So you, you can do a whole bunch of different things with him, especially because he's such a unique athlete at that size. He was the fastest defensive lineman by the zebra tracking system and by more than two miles an hour. Like, there was no defensive lineman here who was even in his neighborhood as an athlete. And again, this guy's enormous. He's still learning the position. Like, he showed up to college. He was a tight end at Old Dominion. And he, like, he didn't, you know, convert to defense full-time until later on. And then he had the, the, the shorter amount of time at the Power 5 level. I think he took like in the mid 600s in terms of defensive snaps at the power five level. So we haven't seen him as much against the high end competition. That's what we wanted to see this week, you know, cause he's still learning the position the te- the technique is still getting refined, stuff like that. But on, on certain reps, that kid looked dominant. The ceiling with him is really, really high. So, and he's probably going to go in the first round, especially after what happens in Indianapolis. If cornerback impressed you most Thor, 
what position disappointed you the most? Tight this end group was, in particular. Tight end was really bad. Uh, like, it, and, and I thought it was going to be bad, and it was probably even worse than I thought. Uh, the Luke Musgrave kid from Oregon State, who everyone says is like the sleeper, that kid moves around pretty good, but he's not, he's not experienced at all. Like, we have very little tape on him because this past year is supposed to be his breakout season. He gets hurt right away. But he yep. is a good athlete. He moves like he moved around by far the best out of the guys out there. But like it's not like he was like flashing every single day. And the rest of the group was totally nondescript. Like there's this kid from Miami, Will Mallory, who doesn't block and he can't catch the ball downfield and he can't create separation. Like, so it's mean. Yeah, it's basically like manufactured line touches. And it's like, yeah, this kid's probably not going to be a factor in the NFL. But it, it was like a lot of stuff like that. That that group was not exceptional this week. Linebackers, linebackers. Group. It was better than the tight ends for sure. That, <laughs> well, that Thor. No offense, it doesn't sound like that's saying much. <laughs> the the kid that caught my eye there uh, was Dayon Henley from Washington State. He's a guy who started his career at Nevada as a two star dual threat quarterback. They switched him to receiver right when he gets to campus, and they make him a kick returner. So right away he was playing as a receiver and a kick returner, and then like two years later they're like. Well, this kid's getting bigger, and he's super athletic, and he's aggressive. Maybe we should try him on defense. And so for one year, they were moving him between linebacker, edge rusher, safety, like nickel. They didn't know what to do with him. And then finally, Nevada gets him to linebacker full-time 2021. He breaks out, has a great season, catches the eye of Wazoo and some other suitors in the transfer portal, goes to Wazoo for one year, and was a star last year. The athleticism that that you saw when he was the dual-threat quarterback as a receiver and as the kick returner, that is all translated to linebacker, even at the bigger size. And he has better instincts than you would think, perhaps because he played uh, some quarterback in the past. Now, I know I'm giving Viking fans some flashbacks right now to Chaz Surratt. Dayon Henley's a different kind of a linebacker. You are. You just did. I was going to say that name. I was going to come after you right <laughs> through the camera. I preempted you on that one, You Joe. did. Good job. Yeah. And, and Chaz Surratt, one of the issues with him is he had some of the shortest arms you'll ever see for a linebacker. And he was still learning the position, but he would miss all of these different tackles. And he was also slow to diagnose. With Henley, I, I think the processor is further along, but also he doesn't have the issues with, with length uh, that, that Surratt did. Henley looked really good in the practice sessions. In coverage in particular, I think that's where he could be a huge, huge plus at the NFL level. But he also, to the point of the diagnosis, diagnoses quickly and gets into the hole to confront running backs. I think he was a winner this week as well. As far as um, re- receiver goes, okay? So I was checking this out as well, Thorpe. And the list of free agent receivers, because th- those guys basically don't hit the, the market, is very, very small. And I think it's going to be very expensive. I'm going to run this thought past you. What do you think about this? Would you think that O'Connell would talk to Quazy and would say, you know what, I would almost prefer that we draft a receiver early and that you you try and identify or if we can get a cornerback through free agency. Because while this class is deep at corner, I don't see who the second receiver is going to be uh, to JJ next season. I think Osborne's established himself as a three. Uh, so I think that there could be a case to be made that you actually look early in, in the draft for, you know, 23 or so to take a receiver and try and get what you consider to be your best corner from the open market. Your thoughts on that? I'm with you, Judd. I've advocated for the same, assuming that they move on from Thielen and maybe even if they don't, 
with, with the way the defense has started to play Jefferson after the first game, they, they saw the Vikings embarrass the Packers on national television. The rest of the NFL is like, we're not letting Jefferson do that the rest of the season. And so you'd see either the bracketing over the top or a double team every single snap. The yep. way the Vikings get defenses out of that is by having a legitimate threat on the other side that can be one-on-one coverage every snap. Once they have that, teams just can't wanton, you know, with the disregard of giving the two defenders for Jefferson every single snap. If that guy is available when the Vikings pick at 23, I'm popping him there for sure. Because, yeah, l- later on, y- you're not guaranteed of having that. I do right. think into this, into the end of the second round, there are going to be guys that can come in and step in immediately. Obviously, the Vikings don't have that pick because of the, the Hawkinson trade, where they traded back in the draft a little bit. But you, you could also trade down from 23 if you wanted. But yeah. there are a couple names of receivers that I would take at 23. Quentin Johnson would probably be my favorite one especially in the case of the Vikings, because Quentin Johnson, he, he's the kid who's like, there's shades of Julio Jones in his game at, you know, at 6'4", 215, and a kid who's athletic, and we saw one downfield a whole bunch in college. He's a guy that I would trust to, to scare the defense on the other side. But like a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba, for instance, I wouldn't. He would be a guy I wouldn't take until the second round if they did trade down. So it, it just depends on the guy. There's fewer guys in this class that I'd be super comfortable doing that with, but there are a couple. Thor, final uh, observations from the Senior Bowl. Um, on the field, off the field, obviously, I know you saw the Kwesi, uh hilarious situation take place at dinner, but any other uh, last standouts for you in the Senior Bowl that we haven't mentioned yet? Um, maybe, you know, j- just going off the the receiver thing, I was kind of intrigued by this Princeton receiver, Andre Yosivash. Um, he's a kid who, sort of like Christian Watson, 6'3", 205, FCS All-American, was a Feldman Freaklister and a, a track superstar who has some of these NCAA records. He was a kid who looked pretty good down here the first couple of days. His game is is still raw, so he's still working through things. On Thursday, he was not nearly as good, but you see the flashes, and the speed is for real. And he's also a guy who has the ball skills downfield to reel it in. The rest of his game, it, it is raw, though. He doesn't really block yet. The routes aren't really good yet. And I wonder if some of that is the speed toggling down, coming out of breaks, or if it's just he needs to learn more, whatever. But there are, are flashes there. And we saw some of the other receivers as well, guys that that sort of proved that that they could be sleepers or draft day discount guys. So that was another position I wanted to shout out. Thor, great stuff. And we, we will uh, regroup and talk to you on Tuesday, okay? Always good talking to you guys. Thanks, awesome, man. Take man. care. Safe travels, buddy. Good Appreciate stuff. Appreciate it. That's our buddy Thor Nystrom, who, as we talked about, you can uh, find his work, Fantasy Pros and Pros Betting. He and his uh, colleagues from there have a complete review if you want to delve deeper into what took place at the senior bowl this week, the game, just to be clear, the game is on Saturday, but nobody stays. Nobody cares about the game. It's this actually weird thing. The practices are, I think they start on Monday or Tuesday. Those practices are scouts stay reporters come Mm. by the time they play the game, the press box and stands empty. So it's, it's weird, but nobody cares about the, the actual game. Although they do play it. Dex, you've got some interesting news that I can add to. Uh, but before we do, do do that, you know what? We're talking about guys being in shape, right? They're running 40 times. Well, Sports Dad doesn't run a 40, but you know what? He <laughs> did do more than a year ago. He dropped 40 pounds, and you're saying, oh, wait, Sports Dad, you dropped 40 pounds. And you know what? If you don't know how, how I did, I'm going to tell you it was this simple. The guy on the left became the guy on the right. And, yes, that's both Sports Dad. Uh, thanks to our friends at Livia Weight Control Centers. And I want to talk about the most important thing here to me. One, the program is simple. It's incredibly supportive but the most important thing that i continue to bring up is it's not livia diet center it's weight control that means that it's a lifestyle change it's a positive one 
And the most positive thing is that you take the weight off and then they help you maintain the weight loss. We've all lost weight. We've all yo-yoed. We've all dieted before. But the most important thing is that once that weight comes off, that this is the last time that you have to deal with, with that. And this is a program that's going to help you do exactly that. Maintain that weight. In fact, right now, the Judd offer, if you uh, call them or go online, tell them that you want the sports dad Judd from Score North offer, you're going to get 50% off the program. 50% off the program, 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A-LIVIA.COM. L-I-V-E-A-LIVIA.COM is how your weight loss journey can start today. Feel great by spring. Livia.com, 50% off if you ask for the Judd offer. All right, Dex, uh, you, during the course of us talking to Thor, you sent me an interesting uh, note. Why don't you read that? And then we can react because it definitely involves the Viking search for a defensive coordinator. Yeah, obviously we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, but I saw a rap sheet tweet out um, earlier on Friday morning that the Broncos have requested to interview Steelers linebackers coach, who obviously is Brian Flores. Uh, for their defensive coordinator position under Sean Payton, uh, which also is kind of interesting. So we're trying to figure out what Sean Payton also wants to do with Ijero Ivero. And if he's taking also external interviews, now he can rightfully take these interviews and say Ivero is the right guy. But I find it a little interesting, Judd, that if he's going to be seeking out Brian Flores, who the Vikings have also interviewed for the position, and if, and if they're holding out, the Vikings are until Ivero becomes available, and that's why they're not rushing to this decision. I find all this kind of interesting. I start, to, I am at least starting to see some dominoes start to uh, to take place here and fall down. So Ivero was a candidate for, I believe, at the start of the day, he was a candidate for, uh, for four jobs. The Broncos told him he was out of the running after being their very successful D.C. with Hackett last season. The Broncos told him last week, along with a few guys, Thanks, but we've got our list down to like two. And obviously that guy earlier this week became Sean Payton. Um, so this has a lot of tentacles, but I think it's going to end up with Ivero ha having at least a chance to come here. And here's why. So Ivero and Payton, who got the job a couple of days ago, sat down yesterday because Ivero is still under contract to the Broncos. Ivero also is a candidate, if I'm not mistaken, for the Cardinals and Colts job. And Brian Flores, who was the de facto DC, he, he was a uh, linebackers coach, assistant head coach, I think, or something like that, for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Um, and Flores is a candidate, if I'm not mistaken, only for the Cardinals job. So Ivero met, well, actually, let's backtrack to this. The Falcons originally requested permission to talk to Ivero for their DC job a few weeks ago. And they were told no, which made people assume, well, Denver's going to keep him. Let me make something very clear, ladies and gentlemen. That was done before Sean Payton got this job. George George uh, Patton, who is the Viking or the former Vikings executive, who is now the Broncos GM, is the one that denied permission. He did it because he didn't know who his coach was going to be yet. He also, George Hatt is going to have about as much control of the Broncos as I will now. Sean Payton is going to be the de facto GM. So Ivero and Payton met on Thursday. My guess is Payton said, I'm going to look elsewhere because it's you ordinarily bring your guys or you've identified your guys. So you can keep guys, but especially for a guy like Payton, who's been a coach for a thousand years, that's not the norm. Um, Brian Flores and Ivero both have to be at some point in time given clarity by the teams that have interviewed them for head coaching jobs or the teams that are left if they are in or out. 
I think Flores has a fighting chance to get the Cardinals job. I think, as we discussed on Thursday's PD, that Ursay wants to hire, and I know this sounds crazy, but he is, he's off his rocker. He wants to hire Jeff Saturday for the Colts job. So I think Averro, within the next few days, is going to become available to talk to the Vikings. And once he does, I think that there is a probably a fairly likely opportunity that he will be their choice. Now, Flores, here's the thing to keep in mind. One, he's up for different jobs. But two, if you're O'Connell, as, as, as because Flores is a guy we like, because one, I think he's good. But two, he's a sexy name. He was a coach of the Dolphins. He's a guy that we know. Ivero's not. So, but I think where O'Connell's going to think about this differently than we do is also how can I get stability? Because I'm going to be building a defense. A lot of guys are going to be gone. A lot of young guys who hopefully are going to have good careers here are coming in, right? So the more stability that you get, the more probability that your DC, who with this job is almost like an assistant head coach, defensive coordinator, because O'Connell is the head coach of the team, but also the offense. Um, the more stability, more continuity that you get here, the better. So that's why I wonder if Flores ultimately won't be their their top choice, might be the choice at the DC in Denver, Declan. He could be the head coach of the Cardinals. I don't think Ivero is going to get a head coaching job. Long story short, I think that's how you connect the pieces of the puzzle to Ivero being the DC here, unless something weird takes place. Yeah. And I would also say that whoever gets this defensive coordinator job, whether it's Flores or Ivero, it's probably a stepping stone, you know, to their next to being a potentially a head coach, which is obviously, I know the case with a lot of coordinators in the NFL that it's, you know, you're one step away from getting a full-time head coaching gig. And I'd imagine that'd be the case for Ivero. Like if, if he was interviewed here, he gets the DC job. Wouldn't shock me at all if that a year from this time, you know, in February of 2024, that he's getting interviews for vacant NFL head coaching gigs too. So yeah, I I'm kind of with you here. I, I think it's, it's kind of lining up that they're waiting on potentially a, interviewing Ivero because KOC has a connection with him from his days with the Rams. So wouldn't surprise me at all if they're going to wait this out and get the right guy. And look, they don't, they don't have to hire someone right away. I know it's been now what, two, two and a half, almost three weeks or so since they let go of Ed Donatel, but you know, they're, they're waiting for the right guys or didn't do their due diligence. It's all good. Not too worried about it. Um, but I, I think it is probably lining up that Ivero will get a, at least an interview here with the Vikings if he indeed becomes available and they allow him to do so. Yeah, and I, I think if he, I think if he gets th- that far, he probably gets the job. And the thing with him too is he wants to go to a place where one, he knows the coach. As far as far as I know, there's no connection between Ivero and Peyton. And if Peyton says, you know what, I'm go- going to go in a different direction, my guess is Ivero is not going to object at all. He'll probably be pleased to get out of his contract with the Broncos. Um, the other thing too is. So I think Flores has, because of his track record and having already been the Dolphins coach, and that ended messily. I mean, that was a weird thing. That was not a good finish. But I think he is probably an attractive name on the surface. Ivero is too. But he's going to want to put himself, no doubt about it, in a position to be as a young coach with a team where if if, if the Vikings go from being what was basically just you know, far too often a really porous defense in 2022 and they can get into the top 15 in 23, the perception of Ivero is going to grow as, oh my God, he did, you you know, there's no, there's going to be no confusion. Well, it's really Kevin O'Connell's team. Offensively, that's a problem for West. But as far as Ivero goes, if he comes here 
and molds a group of what could be pretty young defensive players in, into a respectable group, his stock grows. So a coordinator at that age definitely wants to be in a position where he feels he can be as successful as possible and stand out. So, yeah, I think that this is a whole, I think it's a long game. And to your point, too, if the Vikings sort of know, and they probably do, what they want defensively, the only the only thing that would be surprising now to me, Declan, is this. If they did go get a 4-3 guy and change things drastically, because that's going to change your, your draft thought process. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go to a 4-3 base, your draft thought process and what you put um, a high stock on potentially as far as prospects goes changes a bit. But if you're going to keep the 3-4 base, if you're going to have a lot of the same principles that you had hoped would work this past year and obviously did not, then your thinking is not going to change. There's probably guys that a guy like Ivero might like more than others. But the only thing where I, I would say that's surprising is if they actually changed the uh, thought process on the base defense, which I don't think that they will. The other thing to keep in mind too, though, and this is the one that I've, I found to be intriguing today from from SI's Albert Breer, his tweet about the fact that the Fangio Dolphins deal got done, is the fact that, and I think we all thought, well, if Donatel didn't work and O'Connell's goal was to get a Vic Fangio Basically, his defense, go get Vic. And the Breer report today is the deal with the Dolphins got done, and he's going to be making $4.5 million per season. $4.5 Now, Now, I was told a long time ago that the one thing the teams that spend will say is this. The one area that's left in this league where competitive balance can be messed with in a big way is coaching staffs because there's mm-hmm. no salary cap. Right. So, like, you know, you're going to hit – if you're going to compete as much as possible, you're going to hit a, a ceiling and a floor, but a ceiling on your salary cap. So like you, you can draft well there. There's certainly ways to get competitive advantages, mm-hmm. but you, but the cap is the cap and ultimately it can't be exceeded. The coaching staff though, you can basically go to town and, and but four and a half million dollars per Seems super excessive, mm-hmm. super excessive. But it does it does hammer home the value that these teams put on on coaches. And the last thing on this, Declan, that I find intriguing because I mean this is an exorbitant salary, is this part. We are now really in, into an age where the head coach sets the tone. So he's the locker room guy, post game, gate game ball guy. O- O'Connell's great at that stuff. But make no mistake, when you're going to pay a veteran former head coach to be your DC four and a half million per, that guy is your head coach defense. Like yeah. Mike McDaniel, head coach offense. But when you're paying that nearly five million per season, like we are now in a split the locker rooms and the defensive guy is going to go to town. Mike McDaniel's concern about defense for the 2023 Dolphins is going to be very small. Mm-hmm. That's why you need a head coach Surly for Judd and, and KOC. You know, I, maybe uh what maybe a Citra, maybe a Surly Hell for for KOC. He seems like a light beer kind of guy. Yeah, but you know what? Screw him. I'm taking a a Furious. I'm not. We're not doing it. It's the weekend. We're not doing anything light now. Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, we might back off quite a bit. Hell, delicious. 
absolutely great. But yeah, you are uh, correct. All right, sir. I think we're done here. Uh, thanks to Thor. That was ab- absolutely, as I texted you you and Phil about halfway through, that was football <laughs> draft porn. It was, it was fantastic. And um, it gave us a pretty good insight, I think, into at least the first steps from the senior class standpoint of what the Vikings might be uh, looking at when it comes to the draft. By the way, uh, hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. We got Purple Access uh, tomorrow with Chip Scoggins and Judd uh, talking some uh, defensive stuff. We have Vikings Event Line Offseason Edition uh, as well on Sunday with yours truly. If you want to get in on a future episode, shoot me an email. It's vikingsventline at gmail.com, the same email you'd use to get on Ventline. Uh, shoot me an email if you want to get on a future show. But plenty of Vikings content right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We'll be back tomorrow.